From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi cab, uh, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special hello to all of you listening in on our affiliates north and south of the 49th, uh, those catching the live stream on YouTube, uh, the podcast, of course, iTunes, TuneIn.com, Stitcher Radio, TalkZone.com. Uh, those of you who are taking the show with you on your smartphones and tablets uh, through the Conspiracy Show app, however and wherever you're listening, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, is standing by on the line from her home in Connecticut uh, to discuss portals. Um, is the veil between this dimension and whatever lies on the other side thinning? Uh, are there underlying physical reasons why certain locations, such as uh, the Skinwalkers Ranch or the Hudson Valley or West Virginia, why they seem to experience an abundance of paranormal activity? Uh, and not just hauntings or, or sightings of Bigfoot or Uf, uh, UFO activity, uh, but the whole nine yards, the whole enchilada, all at once. Uh, Rosemary says yes, and uh, she's studied everything from soil types to the existence of subterranean rivers and how uh, they may all be connected to paranormal activity. Uh, and then there's the argument that it's possible holes are being torn in that same veil that separates this world from the next, and, and this is causing a significant uptick in all kinds of, of paranormal activity in certain locations. And she says it's likely to intensify. Uh, so much so that our present reality may be in transition uh, and will increasingly blend with whatever is on the other side, so much that uh, we won't recognize our world in the not-so-distant future. Uh, before that, as always, let me, let me remind you to get on up to the landing page, strangeplanet.ca. Poke around. Uh, there's a, a lot to explore there. The website for this program is um, found on the radio in the radio section. Uh, please take a moment to register. It's fast and it's easy and free. And it gives you access to the past show archive, the book club, uh, and much more. Uh, there's also a TV section where you can learn more about my television program, The Conspiracy Show, Season 4, of course, coming soon across Canada on Vision TV. Uh, incidentally, Seasons 1 through 3 are now available in the U.S. on Amazon and Hulu. All right. Uh, oh, the Bilderbergs, my special live event coming to the U of T, featuring Pulitzer Prize nominee Daniel Estulin, best-selling author of The True Story of the Bilderbergs. He'll be presenting the Canadian theatrical premiere of his new documentary film, Bilderberg the Movie, uh, plus a 90-minute lecture. Uh, tickets on sale now through the live events page at strangeplanet.ca and through Conspiracy Culture Bookstore, 1344 Bloor Street West, uh, in store or by phone, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696, and of course through the website conspiracyculture.com. The Bilderberg, Sunday, April 17th, U of T. All right then, let's talk portals. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a leading expert in the metaphysical paranormal fields with more than 60 books published on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works. Her work is translated into 15 languages. Her current work for focuses on interdimensional entity, contact experiences, problem haunting, spirit and entity attachments, the afterlife, 
and spirit communications, psychic psychic skills, dream work for well-being, spiritual uh, sorry spiritual uh, growth and development, angels, past and parallel lives, and investigation of unusual paranormal activity. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, welcome back to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Well, the year is getting off to a very fast start for me. I'm uh, busy on many fronts. I've got uh, vampires, ghosts, hauntings, demonic cases, ET research, angels. Uh, it's just everything is just all over the place. But I love it this way, as you know, because uh, I like delving into all these different areas. So um, it's going to be an exciting year. Uh, we should mention the website, of course, visionaryliving.com, visionaryliving.com. Um, I want to talk to you. I know you've written about this extensively. I, I think you wrote a, a book dedicated to portals in the Hudson Valley. Uh, was it, a, it was an entire book, was it, or was it a series of articles? Well, I've done uh, pieces on it yet. Okay. I had planned a whole book, but uh, I haven't actually done the whole book yet, but I've done pieces of it in books, and I've done some articles on it, too. I've looked at uh, portals actually all over. Uh, whenever I do my field research, we've got an intense number of them uh, very near where I live here in Connecticut. The Hudson Valley has been active for some time. And throughout my career, Richard, one of the first things I noticed when I started investigating hauntings was that there were similarities uh, from case to ca case in characteristics of the land. And it got me really intrigued about uh, energy of the landscape and what that has to do with how active an area is and also the kind of activity that takes place on the land. And uh, even though um, it uh, can't be predicted with any... Um, you know, these things are very hard to pin down in a, a definitive way, so some things can't be predicted 100% of the time, but nonetheless, there are characteristics that are fairly predictable. For example, if someone describes to me uh, what's going on in uh, in their home, for example, or in their area, um, I can fit it into patterns that I have been documenting uh, documenting for several decades now. So, it, just to summarize, if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, you're drawing a, uh, a correlation or causation, perhaps, between uh, paranormal activity in a in a region. It could be UFO activity. It could be uh, could be related to uh, cryptozoology, like Sasquatch uh, sightings, uh, ghost activity, shadow uh, people activity, jinn. That uh, may be caused by or certainly related to the region's geography, its uh, topography, uh, the type of minerals even in, in the soil? Am, am, I on to, am I on the right track here? Absolutely. And uh, yes, it's across the board. It doesn't matter what kind of unusual or paranormal phenomena are occurring. And usually in these hot zone areas, these portal areas, there's um, multiple activities. Not, there's not just one kind, like just a UFO corridor or just a Bigfoot area, you know, that sort of thing. We usually find a mix of all kinds of things going on. And uh, there are these certain characteristics to the landscape. In some cases, I think they're contributing factors, and in some cases, I think they are predominant factors. So um, there's, there's like... Um, 
a mix, uh, a combustion mix, so to speak, uh, of ingredients. And if you get the right combination in the right place, uh, you can have very active areas. And these, uh, I call these areas portals. Uh, John Keel called them window areas. Uh, and uh, some people call them thin boundary areas. But they're places on the planet where people are likely to experience some sort of extraordinary activity that can range from the negative to the positive. Some places are very positive, like sacred sites. Uh, Some places are negative, where uh, people have had a great deal of difficulty with unpleasant activity and homes that are built on those locations. And uh, a lot of places really fall in in between with uh, a mix of everything. And uh, I think that these areas really do need to be studied more uh, to enable us to, to get a better picture of why things happen, why people have the experiences they do, and uh, if there's any way that we can determine how much of it is contributed by the landscape versus how much is contributed by human trigger factors. And uh, there we find a, a range in... Uh, uh, characteristics as well, that, that some people seem to have the ability to trigger activity wherever they go, and some people dampen the activity wherever they go. So how much does human consciousness play into this picture as well? So uh, areas that are experiencing high volume in paranormal activity, uh, the uh, logically then we assume that the portal or the the veil between this world and uh, or this dimension i guess and the, the next or another dimension or other dimensions is is thinner is that the idea well that would be one way of describing it or something that opens up these boundaries like sort of rips a hole in it and enables uh, a blending of reality so that we experience the extraordinary uh, and some of these areas seem to be very open all or most of the time. And, uh, you know, we just mentioned the Hudson Valley. I live very close to uh, the Hudson River. Uh, and the Hudson River Valley has had quite a long history of, for example, UFO activity. We had the big flap in the 1980s with the Black Triangles. But uh, the UFO activity remains fairly steady. Nothing is... Uh, of the intensity of of the uh, the 19 mid 1980s wave but people are very likely to encounter strange phenomena um, up and down that that river valley and that includes a bigfoot it includes mysterious creatures and heavily haunted areas where people who live uh within uh, a certain geographic range of that valley uh, are likely to experience all kinds of crazy haunting activities in their homes. And the Mothman uh, flap is another example, I think, of this portal that opens up uh, in, in a kind of explosive way, and dramatic things happen. For 13 months, uh, there, there were, were massive UFO sightings, craft, encounters with beings. Mothman was encountered... Uh, a good number of times, and then it seemed to close up. Um, but the area has had a history of a lot of hauntings and sightings of mysterious beings uh, going back much, much earlier than Mothman, and it continues today. So what are these characteristics that make these portals, and what causes them to kind of explode open for a while exactly. and then close 
a, l- a little bit tighter. Exactly. Well, what is it about the Hudson Valley? Let's start with uh, uh, what, what are the common denominators? Uh, I mean, along the Hudson Valley, um, that that may contribute to this portal opening and closing or being thinner along this region. Uh, it, what are some of the, the characteristics that you think you found? Well, some of the ones that I've found that relate to these portal areas in general, we can certainly find them in places in the Hudson Valley, and the Catskills um, are, uh, are are part part of that active area as well. So there's content of the soil, like is there um, a high content of quartz material or certain kinds of metals like um, iron uh, or magnetite that would have magnetic fields to them that might generate uh, an energy in the earth. Um, certain remote mountainous regions uh, have uh, this intensity of activity, underground water streams, and also uh, large bodies of running water. And, of course, the Hudson River itself provides that uh, sort of constant flow of uh, energy and ionized air and, and, and things like that. Uh, and um, and does, does the Hudson Valley have a, a lot of quartz and iron in its soil? Do we know? Uh, it does in pockets, and yeah. there's also uh, pockets of radon activity. Oh, radon I've, is not good. <laughs> I've wondered about the, the impact of radon as well. It seems that uh, things that are in the soil that generate some sort of energy contribute to these these portal areas. And then there are areas of magnetic anomalies, and... Um, they can be either uh, markedly inten- uh, um, negative or markedly positive uh, that seem to be factors as well. Negative magnetic anomalies seem to be associated with uh, some of the most uh, active portal areas. And so I've, I've looked at these areas uh, in relation to uh, like geological survey maps uh, that, that map out these magnetic anomalies, and they do correspond with areas that uh, are known for their, their haunting phenomena. This is amazing. I, I don't know of anyone else that, that is doing this kind of analysis, uh, Rosemary. Kudos to you. We'll take a quick time out and uh, continue to discuss uh, portals and much more with our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We're back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal researcher, investigator, her website is VisionaryLiving.com, VisionaryLiving.com, discussing portals. Uh, I mentioned just before the break, this seems to me uh, to be a very unique field of research. The, the idea that you are finding or matching sort of characteristics, things like uh, the, the elements in the soil, minerals in the soil, uh, etc., to paranormal activity. Uh, you gave the, the example of, um, of quartz and iron in the soil, Seems to be a link to paranormal uh, pockets of paranormal activity. Anyone else doing this kind of research? Because this, to me, is uh, no pun intended, but groundbreaking. Well, I, I believe that I was one of the early researchers uh, to start looking into this. There are there are other investigators who have looked at land anomalies, and uh, I, I do believe that paranormal investigators, even uh, ufologists who look for hot zones. Uh, the Bigfoot researchers 
really do need to take these things into account. Uh, and, um, you know, West Virginia has some of those anomalies as well. And um, Hence the Mothman. Uh, yes, around around the Mothman sighting. And there's an awful lot of activity in West Virginia in general. I've often joked that the whole state is a portal. It just <laughs> seems to be amazing, the things that go on there. But it has a lot of these characteristics as well. And also um, mining tunnels. Well, of course, people mine, uh, human beings mine where there's ore uh, of some sort. There are either coal mines, iron mines, copper mines, etc., and uh, when those mining tunnels are made, uh, I believe that that shifts the energy in the earth uh, that also disturbs spirit activity or uh, agitates it. And uh, this correlates with folklore going back centuries where uh, people believe that uh, underground channels like streams that bubbled up to the surface or caves that opened uh, up into the surface were conduits for the spirit world, and um, we find a lot of mining lore corresponding uh, with that, too, that um, miners believed that they encountered spirits when they went deep into the earth. And so some of these areas that have been heavily mined, and those mine tunnels are now abandoned, um, are they still conduits for spirit activity, or do they facilitate spirit activity in some way? I, I believe that they do. It's interesting. I just I just returned from uh, Death Valley. I was working on an ep- uh, episode for a, 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 a cable TV show on the uh, it was a travel channel, um, and in uh, Death Valley, I don't know if you find uh, any of these sort of same characteristics in terms of soil, but uh, Lots of mining, of course, went on out there. Gold mining, silver mining, uranium mining. Uh, and there is a place called Devil's Hole uh, that I believe uh, Charlie Manson was fascinated with Devil's Hole and he would send his disciples out there, and I think a few of them probably disappeared, looking for, I guess, this portal to a- another dimension and whether they thought that they could contact some evil entity that to help them you know, do their bidding. I'm not sure, but uh, is is Death is Death Valley, uh, as far as you're concerned, uh, a major portal? Uh, well, it certainly is an active area, and I've found uh, other hot zones in the southwest as well, and some of them are associated with mining. For example, the Superstition Mountains uh, in Arizona. And uh, last year, I was doing some research out in Jerome, uh, which is uh, an old mining town. There isn't any. Um, the mines were pretty well uh, stripped the earth. Um, I think the last mine closed um, in mid-century. But the area is still heavily haunted, and uh, I think because the energy of the landscape was uh, so radically altered that um, it it enabled uh, a bleed-through of of dimensions that uh, are still... uh, you know, the phenomena are still present uh, today. And um, the deserts also have their own peculiar uh, characteristics of um, of landscape that uh, contribute to some kinds of hauntings. And there are differences in types of hauntings uh, from area to area. Um, there are, out in the southwest, um, there are, are po- very powerful land spirits that, I think are encountered more frequently than, uh, for example, out here in the east. 
And I'm not sure why that is, uh, other than the fact that there are huge tracts of, of unoccupied land in the southwest relative to more densely populated areas here that uh, probably altered uh, energy uh, in well, uh, I have a theory very I, dramatic ways. I have a theory uh, regarding the southwest, if I might offer. Oh, please. Uh, of course, in the late, well, actually starting in about 1951, um, and right on into, I think, the early 60s, we had the Nevada approving grounds. We had a lot of nuclear testing going on, uh, blasts. Uh, there was something called Operation Plum Bob in uh, 1957, 29 atomic blasts. Of course, they didn't tell anybody living downwind about the dangers. They didn't even advise them to go indoors. Uh, but all of these nuclear blasts going off, never mind the radiation, is it possible... Uh, that uh, you know, they these blasts tore a a hole in this this fabric, this veil that separates uh, this dimension from the next. Well, I'm glad you reminded me of the nuclear testing out there because I I do believe that um, the atom bomb has ripped all kinds of uh, holes in interdimensional boundaries, and certainly the vibrations that. Uh, that the earth would be subjected to would alter uh, energy configurations in, in the very ground and soil. And uh, as a corollary to that, uh, recently out here in the east, we've had a lot of fracking for gas as a way, a way of getting, uh, you know, difficult to obtain gas out of the shale. And a lot of that's gone on in West Virginia, and um, mountains have been practically taken apart. All kinds of um, boring has gone into the earth, and tremendous vibrational activity to uh, to take this gas out of the earth. And it's been no surprise to me to see a rise in reports of haunting activity and mysterious creature activity in, in areas where a lot of this fracking has gone on. So what are we doing to the planet that, um, you know, we're shaking up interdimensional boundaries here and I think uh, wreaking far more havoc than we realize? Uh, I mean, we, we, we've known about UFOs since, uh, you know, before biblical times and accounts of, of what were probably UFOs in the Bible, Ezekiel's wheel and so forth. But ever since Kenneth Arnold in 19... 19- 47. It, it seems like things have ramped up significantly, and, and um, I'm wondering if that's coincidental or if it's related to the, the you know, the atomic blasts at Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all the testing that went on uh, prior to that. There are a number of contributing factors, and, and certainly uh, all that nuclear activity uh, was a big change. And uh, then, in addition, we have. Um, increasing numbers of people having experiences, which adds to a collective energy, even a thought form energy, that uh, I believe influences the tendency to have even more experiences. And so we have global media uh, that's uniting consciousness, uh, and uh, more people are talking about their experiences, uh, even looking for experiences. We are also, uh, due to population explosion, pushing into remote areas that uh, I think were the province of, of um, the spirit world. And 
we're now taking over energetically these places and causing a disruption in um, a, a literally a balance of, of power, if not occupation. So we have all of these things uh, contributing to a snowball effect. And um, this is causing a lot of chaos and tumult. Um, my feeling is, and I have been talking about this for several years now, what's emerging is, uh, I call it both the interdimensional earth and transreality earth, uh, where uh, our, our paraphysical experiences are becoming uh, increasingly commonplace. And at some point, I think we will have a significant shift in reality so that the reality that we're familiar with now isn't going to exist anymore. It's going to incorporate more of these paraphysical experiences with these alternate realities that are right next to ours. Uh, so are you suggesting that, I I'm not sure what percentage of the population uh, is considered to be a psychic or is more likely to have a paranormal experience because there seems to be some... Um, biological um, contributing factor there to be you know separating those that have paranormal experiences and those that do not or maybe it's neuro neurological are you suggesting then that there's going to be a ramping up of the number of people that percentage wise that will have paranormal experiences that will see UFOs that previously may have not uh, I believe that that is taking place right now and some people do seem to be more attuned to these realities. Uh, and, for example, let's take the UFO field where we have people reporting sightings. They see craft in the sky uh, or they have an encounter with, um, with alien beings. And other people don't see craft in the sky. They don't have these encounters. And so they are likely to view the experiencers as people who are on the fringe, it's their fantasy. There's something abnormal or wrong with them, uh, when in fact they're they're just tuned differently than um, maybe the collective, the general collective of of um, society, and that's what's shifting. Hmm. Uh, that more people are getting this attunement, and um, the data now that is coming out on experiencers, and I've been participating in. Um, uh, the studies for that that is is showing that um, more people than than we suspect have extraordinary experiences as part of their ordinary reality, and they've had them throughout their lives. So the experiencer is not the unusual person, not the abnormal person or the fringe person. The experiencer is now becoming the ordinary citizen. Interesting. Uh, when I was out in, in Death Valley, I sat on the hood of my uh, rented Hyundai Accent looking up in the night sky, which was absolutely spectacular. The desert uh, night sky is just out of this world. Uh, you know, hoping, because I have not, here I am doing a, a program, uh, The Conspiracy Show, talking about the paranormal, talking about UFOs, and I have never seen an unidentified flying object. And so there I was. I was out there for about a half an hour. Just I had some time looking up in the night sky hoping, praying that uh, I'd see something so that I, you know, at least I'd have some street cred. <laughs> but maybe I just have to wait a little bit longer because, you see, as you say, this is going to become more and more common. Uh, I believe it is. And 
uh, I think that the speed at which these changes are taking place is increasing as well. Uh, it's a snowball effect, and um, it's going, going to come faster and faster. But, you know, over the course of my paranormal investigation career, I've had a, a lot of certain kinds of experiences and very few of other kinds of experiences. For example, I've never seen Bigfoot. I have never seen a mysterious creature. Uh, I've had lots of ghost experiences, angels, demonic, jinn, fairies. Um, I have seen uh, unknown lights and or craft on three occasions, uh, and yet I know people who have had uh, exactly the opposite. They've had more experiences on the UFO end of things and very few on the other end of things. All right, when we come back, Rosemary, we're going to talk about uh, your research uh, in conjunction with the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. This is a huge uh, global survey that you've been part of, and we'll discuss that when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our resident paranormal investigator. The website is visionaryliving.com. And I want to talk about this huge global survey that you've been assisting with, the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. You're on the board. Tell us about it. I am on the board of directors and also on the research committee. Uh, the man who directs it, Ray Hernandez, is the driving force and invited me to come aboard uh, last year. And the organization is uh, has undertaken... Uh, the largest ever global survey of experiencers. Previous surveys have involved uh, several dozen people, maybe a hundred or so people, and this is involving over 2,000 people. So that's um, the largest um, sample of experiencers to date. And it's not just ET experiencers we've looked at. We're looking, uh, we're asking people about their out-of-body experiences near death encounters with ghosts, angels, uh, unknown entities, fairies, afterlife communications. We want to look at the whole picture because everything is interconnected, and this is a qualitative study as well as quantitative. We're not just piling up statistics. Uh, we're trying to put things into a perspective in terms of what it means to the individual and what it means for humanity as a whole. So we're about halfway through a four-part survey, and we have just released publicly the preliminary results from Phase 1 and Phase 2. And uh, I found the results very, very interesting. And what we're going to, we're going to be publishing uh, this in report form. Uh, there may be a book. We're working on a documentary. Uh, we're coordinating with other organizations uh, that are doing similar research. This is a, a very big undertaking. And this is what I was alluding to a little earlier about the new experiencer being the ordinary person, not the unusual person. Now, most of our respondents are from the United States, followed by England and then Europe. We have some in South America, but they are scattered all over the globe. Uh, most of the experiencers re reporting have been women. And most fall into a, uh, like about a 35 to 64 um, age, uh, age group. And most of them report 
positive experiences. Now, the media has given us a lot of negative experiences. And, of course, we know negative plays very mm. well in the media. There, there are abductions. There are unpleasant abductions. But overall, most people report positive experiences with what we're calling uh, non-human intelligent beings. And uh, some of the beings are unknown. Some, some of them are identified as ETs by people. Mo- m- most of the contact experiences with these beings are humanoid, not the greys. The greys are second. Uh, and um, people say that they have been treated as an equal or with respect. They, it's been an expansive experience. Um, We've looked at a special category of experiences, what we call in a matrix reality, where people feel transported to some sort of mystical realm or an alternate reality where they have very mind-expanding experiences, that is what we would call downloads and cosmic consciousness, uh, along with interaction with, with these beings. So the, the picture of our encounters is much different than what we have had a concentration of in the media in the past with the unpleasant abductions and, you know, marauding aliens and ugly monstrous things. Um, people are saying it's, it's really quite different than that. And how do, how do people participate in this survey? Is it online? Are they telephone surveys? How, how is it done? The uh, first part of phase one and phase two were done online. And so uh, we advertised a lot, sent out emails, uh, contacted many groups. So it was voluntary, self-reporting, that people had to go online and uh, take, um, take the survey. Now, we've asked hundreds of questions, not just a few dozen, but hundreds of questions, and uh, the survey, of course, was put together by um, statistical experts uh, to ask uh, questions the right way, you know, so that we can get correlation of, of certain kinds of answers. Right. That's important because that was one of the criticisms of the Roper poll back, I guess, about 20 years ago uh, that was commissioned, I believe, by Dr. David Jacobs and I think Bud Hopkins. I'm not sure if John Mack was part of that. Um which was uh, was supposed to establish sort of what percentage of respondents may have been alien uh, abductees, and the results were quite alarming. I think it was around was it three percent or four percent, which is quite high. But the criticisms, of course, were there that the, the, I guess the questions were a little bit leading. Uh, Rosemary, we, we will take a time out. We'll come back and we'll uh, continue to uh, discuss uh, portals and this uh, fascinating uh, global survey that you've uh, been part of. Um, called Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. Back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. I'm Richard Serrett. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal investigator, and again, the website is VisionaryLiving.com, VisionaryLiving.com, uh, and be sure to check out the uh, the store section uh, on the website. Uh, she's written over 60 books, nine major encyclopedias. Uh, it's just um, it's a virtual library right there at your fingertips. Uh, so I, I mentioned the Roper poll 
uh, before the break, Rosemary, was as a, as a board member for this foundation. I mean, were you were you sort of cognizant of the criticisms that had come down regarding the way that survey was conducted? Uh, yes, and in fact, uh, there were there have been shortcomings in a lot of surveys, and uh, I'm, you know, I, I certainly don't mean to fault any of the earlier surveys. I think. Um, researchers have conducted them as best as they can with with resources available, uh, but uh, yes, there are um, a lot of shortcomings in terms of the size of the data pool and the numbers uh, number of questions asked. So in phase one and two, um, the people who participated in phase one were invited to uh, participate in phase two. Uh, these were additional questions. Now, these are all multiple choice, and um, they're fairly open-ended in terms of, um, you know, the range of experiences that we, we asked about, and um, the, that part of the survey is now closed, and so we're uh, looking at phase three where we are asking that same data pool to answer open-ended questions. That is, there are some multiple choices, but then there's an opportunity for the respondents to describe in their own words, to elaborate with detail. And phase four, then, will involve selecting um, individuals uh, to ask them if they would be willing to do in-person interviews. And uh, we're hoping to actually be able to uh, to get some on videotape that we can then use as, as part of the educational program. Uh, confidentiality has been guaranteed. Uh, even in uh, re- reviewing the results, I have um, no information as to specific individuals, uh, their names or locations. And so in the final phase, it's only going to be those individuals who, who really want to come forward and be vocal about their experiences and be public about it that uh, we will be able to. Uh, now, some of the people will agree, I think, to be interviewed in person, but maybe not have their interviews disclosed. And then we're hoping that that's, um, some will. And um, in association with that, not... Uh, not necessarily a, a part of the formal survey, but uh, I am working with Ray on some cases in Florida where uh, families have had uh, um, collective experiences, and uh, we're looking at putting this together in in a book to um, to demonstrate this. Uh, what I'm calling the I'm calling it the new experiencer and. Um, not, not that these are like brand new experiences, but this is a new picture of the experiencer that really hasn't been revealed before. We focused on aspects of experiences, and there's been a lot of attention on the negative end of things, but no one's really looked at uh, the broad scope of the more positive end. We've, we've had near-death experience studies, you know, um, it was about 20, 20 or so years ago, Ken Ring did the comparison between NDEers and ET experiencers, abductees, uh, to look for common traits in their personalities and the kinds of experiences they were having. Um, but no one's really taken on board the whole 
um, the whole spectrum. Now, the website for this is experiencer.org, and um, there's um, some information up about it. Uh, we're developing a full website, uh, and it uh, the full website hasn't been launched yet. And I, I would just like to mention that Edgar Mitchell was involved in um, the genesis of this uh, organization and lent his name to the foundation as, as well. And um, it it was with great sorrow, of course, that he passed a, a few days ago. Uh, he'd, he'd been ill for some time, but he really did contribute right up to the end. You know, contributed as much as he could. Uh, and again, this is uh, this is the largest ever. This is a global survey, and it covers um, all sorts of extraordinary experiences, including, as you say, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, ghosts, angels, contact with the dead, past life recall, other mystical experiences. And of course, uh, um, uh, alien uh, contact. Um, what was the most surprising finding? I mean, you mentioned that that um, the majority of the experiences were positive, but what were, what, were, what were some of the other surprising findings? Uh, well, that in itself was real surprising to me. Was was the um, the number of positive experiences, and also. Um, I'm, I'm sure you recall in, in the abduction field that um, there has been um, examination of blood types, you know, and there uh, was all this attention uh, about the uh, negative RH factor, you know, that supposedly right. a lot of abductees had certain blood types. And um, most of the people answering the survey say their blood is not RH negative. So um, I think we're going to have to re-examine a, a lot of foregone conclusions or what we think we know about experiencers in light, light of the new data coming out. Um, also, a fair number of experiencers um, say that their uh, no, experiences are in like this, mate, we're calling it the matrix reality, where they're transported to what seems to be uh, another state of consciousness uh, as a result of having contact with uh, some intelligent being. And uh, that this has altered their views of the afterlife. They think their experiences are wrapped up in some sort of revelation or understanding about the nature of the afterlife. Uh, changes their beliefs about whether or not there's reincarnation. Uh, and um, here again, the whole slant uh, of the study indicates a positive uh, impact of these experiences. So the media and some of these other studies have focused on fear-based results where the we've, we've looked at negative experiences and... Uh, that's a major shift. Right. But the, now, the, now, the negative experiences do happen, and, right. and people do report negative encounters and abductions. Most people say that they have uh, not been abducted against their will. Most people say that um, if, uh, if they had an opportunity to stop their experiences, would they? They say no, they would not. That's interesting. Uh, now, but the overall um, 
in the survey, it's it's positive. Uh, but you're also including in that mix uh, things like NDEs and OBEs and past life recalls, which tend to be fairly positive when people have a near-death experience, although at, initially it's very disturbing. You know, they talk about the unconditional love and the light and so forth. So um, is is it possible that it's the 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 uh, overall numbers are positive because you're you're including these experiences these mystical paranormal type experiences that tend to be positive anyway uh yes they do and here's here's my personal take on this uh is that these other experiences seem to be wrapped up in complex uh scenarios of all kinds of experiences that uh, people who've reported contact with uh, non-human intelligent beings have also had uh, like OBEs or a near-death experience or a mystical experience. Hmm. And so there are these, um, it, it's, I don't think that we can isolate experiencers in terms of types uh, that they seem to be having uh, different kinds of experiences, and that's been my feeling all along. However, um, I can't say exactly, off the top of my head, I can't say exactly how many questions are related specifically to ETs and craft, um, things that we would associate with the ET encounter, but uh, a lot of them are. And Like, have you observed an intelligently controlled craft? Have you been aboard a craft? Uh, have uh, you uh, understood its operation? Um, have you, um, you know, experienced ETs? Have you been abducted? Have you experienced missing time? Um, most of the people who have responded to the survey say they have experienced missing time uh, in relation to uh, certain kinds of ET experiences. Uh, there's also the phenomenon of expanded time, and uh, that seems to be in uh, a, a minority. Hmm. Uh, many people, I don't know what the percentage is, but many people uh, only remember, uh, for example, an abduction experience uh, after regression, uh, after a regression, uh, regression therapy. Uh, do your respondents indicate whether or not, in the survey, whether or not they've undergone a regression in order to remember any of these events, positive or negative? Yes, and in fact, we had quite a bit of discussion as to whether or not we would include uh, regression experiences because there is a lot of criticism over how regressions are conducted. They do have to be conducted very carefully. So uh, as um, someone is not led right. by the questioning, and we have asked the respondents to identify the, the nature of their experience. Was it conscious? Was it in a lucid dream? Was it in an astral projection? Um, was it a regression? Uh, so that we can break that down uh, by, uh, you know, another kind of type of experience. And the... the um the survey population, the sample, in other words. Uh, again, we're talking about how many respondents? Roughly 2,000? Um, it's about 2,700 2, some uh, respondents. And um, 
here again, most of them are from the United States. Okay, and, uh, and that's really where the most publicity for for the survey uh, went on, followed by right. the UK, and um, then it starts to break down in different European countries, South America, uh, Asia. Uh, most of them are female. Um, that's uh, let's see, fifty-six, a little over fifty-six percent are female. And again, these are you know this is self-reporting. It's people right. who found out about the study who voluntarily took it. Um, the two biggest age groups are uh, forty-five to fifty-four and fifty-five to sixty-four. Um, so uh, you know that's middle age. And now people are reporting on their might be reporting on their experiences from childhood or earlier in life, uh, but that's the age of the respondent. Uh, the respondents. Well, it's fascinating, and um, I look forward to uh, to hearing more about uh, phase four. Uh, perhaps there's a a book or a documentary uh, in the works. And again, the website is is it experiencers.org. It's Experiencer Single, uh, experiencer.org. All right. Rosemary, always a delight. Uh, your website again, visionaryliving.com. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Richard. I'll look forward to speaking with you next month. Bye for now. Bye. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. All right, that's it for us. My thanks to uh, Ian and Jamie and Albert. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.